Hey everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as, obviously, their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk to Miles Holmes and Daniel Vivona from UDX Interactive about their new game, Wheel of Fate. Wheel of Fate is a turn-based RPG with a heavy emphasis on story, consequence, and of course, fate. The game is also currently in a Kickstarter campaign, which you can find links for as well as other things that we discuss below if you're watching on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, Find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Darkcast interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is Daniel Vivona and Miles Holmes. How are you guys doing? Excellent, thank you. Very good, thanks. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, if you guys could actually just say your name so that people can actually keep you straight, hopefully, who is is who on this on this recording? All right, I'm Miles. There we go. And I'm Daniel. Awesome. Okay, and Daniel, you're the the CEO founder of UDX Interactive, and Miles, you are the lead designer on your guys' current project, uh, Wheel of Fate. Correct. Correct. All right. Yay! My research has paid off. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously, we're here to talk about your new game, which uh, the game will be out on Kickstarter for people to check out and back. Uh, but before we get into the game itself, I would like to talk about who you guys are and kind of what you do at the studio and on the project. So, Daniel, I guess let's start with you. Okay, sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm the I'm the general janitor <laughs> on things. I uh, I do a lot of uh, you know of the admin things, but I'm also creative director on the game Wheel of Fate. So, you know, I started with with the the vision of the game uh, back in. Well, 2016 is when I first started uh, penciling down what what I thought the game should be, and and then uh, you know worked through getting funding. That's that's one of my main jobs is to make sure that we have enough income to keep the game running. So, uh, you know, as as CEO, that's what I do. As as creative director, I lay down a vision on on uh, on paper, and then talk with Miles, talk with uh, with the team to make sure that what we're doing fits into that. Yeah. Very cool. What about you, Miles? Well, um, at some point, uh, Daniel met with me, and uh, we, we got connected and uh, told me a little bit about what he wanted to do here with this game. Um, it was a really interesting blend of ideas, uh, for sure. Um, and sort of harken back to some of some of my favorite uh, board games. 
that I've played in the past that uh, are able to do procedural content. So uh, it really sparked me. I really wanted to uh, to have a hand in it. And so, yeah, as, as uh, lead design, uh, primarily the, the, the job is to translate his, his vision into a working game with, uh, with a fully realized setting to go with it and narrative. Very cool. Now, what, what kind of background do you guys have? What, what have you done before, um, before Wheel of Fate, before UDX? Okay. Well, I'll, want, I'll start. start Daniel? I'll start yeah. because y- yours is, is, is far more interesting than mine, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, I've been a software project manager for many, many, many years and, uh, I, I worked in everything from, you know, starting out in businesses and, and all those kinds of things. Then I started getting into modding. So I did Neverwinter Nights back in the 2000, like 2000 timeframe. Uh, and we was on a, a pretty big, uh, player world where I did a lot of coding and a lot of, you know, quest design, level design and creating new spells, all, all that kind of wonderful stuff. Uh, and then moved on into some more, um, a different type of gaming. Let's just leave it at that. And, and, uh, we did, we did our, our, uh, um, uh, you know, I did a, a stint at a, at a, at a gaming studio working heavily in the RNG space, which kind of led into the ideas of how to build a dynamic world and changing, you know, adaptable RNGs. And so my history leads me to understanding how to run a business and how to, and how to, uh, uh, you know, and and having an absolute extreme passion for games. That's and and that's where I I, I come from. Right. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Miles. All right. Uh, well, um, yeah, I guess uh, my, my game history, uh, getting to this point, is a uh, is a long is a long tale. Uh, my first game job was really in '95. Um, Originally, I was like a concept artist, illustrator, that kind of stuff, uh, animation. But over the years, I uh, evolved into doing design tasks. And I'm probably best known for the time that I pulled at Bioware. I uh, started there around 2006. And my first project was uh, to start the handheld team. We made Sonic Chronicles. And we were looking to move on to uh, uh, do Mass Effect Corsair, which was going to be a handheld, which I guess largely ended up being... Um, it evolved into Mass Effect Andromeda, um, for better or for worse. Uh, but uh, when they, when the studio decided they didn't really want to do um, handheld titles anymore, my team was just folded into the Mass Effect team. Um, we basically did everything that wasn't critical path content for uh, for Mass Effect Two. Uh, my team started into Mass Effect Three as well. At, at which point, I uh, I moved on. Uh, did a stint at Ubisoft and Day One and, and uh, various places. And over the years, um, uh, I started I started an interest in books um, and writing, uh, and managed to get a few things published in the last few years. And uh, before sort of coming back into games a bit, but I'm still writing at the same time. I've got a I've got my third novel just about uh, just about done. But uh, yeah, I, I keep a balance between games and uh, and writing these days. Excellent. Uh, what what kind of novels do you write? Um, so I'm, I'm primarily known for my uh, uh, work in the uh, Iron Kingdom setting with uh, Privateer Press. Uh, I've done some work with their their gunslinging character Kane. 
Um, but I do write my original sci uh, original content, which is you know, sci-fi, and my, my current novel is a sci-fi novel. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I have a note here from uh, Joel, the editor of the website and the guy that usually sets up interviews like this, and it is to not make this a Mass Effect conversation. So I'm just I'm going to steer away <laughs> from any questions. Uh, yes, I'm not going to take you there any more than I, you want to go there. I, I want to go there, but that's not well, what this episode want, is about. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm fine going there. To be honest, I love Mass Effect. So, I mean, I, I when I spoke with Miles, uh, you know, one of the big things we wanted to do was was not obviously it, it's inspiration. I mean, Mass Effect has inspired so many things, but it's it's such an it was such an awesome game, and and it was something that we loved. I loved playing so much that, uh, you know, when, when Miles came in and he told me, you know, he's a writer and he did narrative designs and he did design in there. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a perfect fit for what we're trying to do with this, this kind of randomness, uh, adaptability and changing, but having a narrative that works with that, you need someone who can think like that. And that's something that definitely Miles can do. Yeah. Oh, and one thing, I mean, obviously I'm taking things that I learned from every project I've worked on, but uh, specific to Mass Effect 2, uh, I really saw the power of the companion character. I think that's when people look back at the Mass Effect series, that's what, what, they, what they really became invested in is, is, is the, the groups that they uh, would, would fight and explore with uh, and the history of these characters and, and, and the companion quest, that kind of thing. I, I thought... And that was something that, that within the team, uh, the individual writers who would, who would uh, develop these characters out, they really put a lot of passion into these characters. And I think that's, that's what players um, really picked up on. Uh, the critical path of the game overall was, was exciting, of course. Um, but uh, I think it was really, you know, the, the, the personalities and the abilities of these uh, companion characters that, that really made the game stick with people. And I wanted to bring that to this game too. I, I, I think it is extremely important that the player party is comprised of an interesting bunch of uh, individuals with interesting abilities and, and stories, and the ability to become more invested with them through companion quests. Absolutely. I um, I don't know. There there are a lot of games out there that try to do the. I don't want to say the Mass Effect thing, but the kind of the Bioware thing, having the 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 western rpg that's um you know it's got this grand tale and you've got all these interesting party members and where a lot of them tend to fail is in not making you invested in the the people that are around you you can have an interesting plot but that only carries you so far it's kind of the moment to moment thing is is caring about the the people in your immediate vicinity making the world worth saving because you actually carry care about the inhabitants in it um, Absolutely, and Mass Effect and and uh, Dragon Age games as well uh, did that amazingly, amazingly well. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about really? Mass Effect Corsair? I don't actually know anything about that game. What you said it was a handheld game. I, I'm trying to look it up right now as we're talking. <laughs> and, well, yeah, but what was it going to be? <laughs> oh my God! Oh, let me tell you. Oh. It's, uh, it's, uh... The what if of my of my past to see, you know that sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's my sliding doors. No, it was it was supposed to be the next handheld project. It was uh, what if you get to be your own Han Solo and build your own Millennium Falcon. 
in the Mass Effect universe. Um, so it was primarily ship-based um, exploration and gameplay. It was primarily, you know, harvesting planets just like you do in Mass Effect. It was um, star control type combat. Uh, FTL uh, was definitely a game that uh, that I, I look at and, and I see sort of elements that we wanted to incorporate. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was the greatest game that that never was for Mass Effect. Um, and I know that there was sort of a there was a prevailing disappointment in, in, in you know with a number of people at Bioware when we when we opted to close the handheld team. Um, but as I say, the sort of the it seemed to me that in a lot of ways, uh, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda sort of became the spiritual successor to Corsair. Um, maybe didn't quite hit the same notes, didn't quite go in the same directions, but uh, it still was that idea of, of, of you know starting your own thing, being a privateer in the uh, in the Mass Effect universe. Uh, Jay Turner was the writer, uh, and between he and I, we had we had worked out quite a critical path for Corsair and. Uh, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> but uh, I've, I've never been so disappointed for something that I've never heard of before until now. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> you have no idea. I've lived in this for years. <laughs> that, uh, that does sound uh, really interesting, though. Um, we had a great – it was a great pitch session uh, for this game. I remember uh, talking to Ray and Greg when we were originally pitching it. And uh, um, we had a tech demo within about three months of it. Uh, of that of that pit session, but you know we talked about sort of like the the basic ship classes that you as the the, the the captain would get to choose from, and you know we had like a sort of a gunship model, like a slave one. Uh, we had kind of a, a recon ship class, uh, like you might have seen in the what was the the not Viper in Valstar Galactica, the other one that that uh, Hilo went out in, sort of a ship like that. And then we said the third class of ship would be freighter. And I remember talking with Ray and Greg, and Ray was like, uh, well, who's going to want to pick a freighter? And I said, well, what would you say is the most famous starship in, in, in all of sci-fi history? Is it, is it the, you know, the Enterprise or said the Millennium Falcon? I said, well, the Millennium Falcon's a freighter. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, okay, yeah, I'll give you that point. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was really funny when we had the, 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 the build working for the game, and we actually had ship-to-ship combat working. Ray and Greg were just fragging each other, playing the build and in the office. And, I, and uh, Greg was just savaging Ray, and I think it kind of pissed Ray off a little bit. <laughs> and set our set our project back a little bit. But uh, in, uh, in the end, I don't think that was the the, the decision for uh, to, to shut it down. But it was a, it was a, you it killed was a me one too many times. Time, but... Project's over. Exactly. Uh... He was like, "Can I just play this game for five minutes and without you killing me?" <laughs> Oh man, that is that is awesome. That is that is awesome. So uh, after that uh, got shuttered, you guys got folded into the the main team. Yeah. and you worked on the side content for Mass Effect Two. Uh, did yeah. you guys work on any of the, the DLCs or anything? Yeah, we did uh, DLCs from from two to three. My okay. um, team involved with the Firewalker one was the one that uh, that I, I specifically um, started with and was really passionate to get the. Uh, Get uh, some exploration in a vehicle back since we lost the uh, the vehicle exploration from Mass Effect One. Yeah. Any work on the Layer of the Shadow Broker DLC? Uh, yeah, that was after me, but okay. my team was involved. Gotcha. Okay. 
that is that's my single like favorite uh like piece of mass effect content uh two is is actually probably my least favorite i'm the weird guy uh in the mass effect world but uh layer of the shadow broker is just like the purest bit of what makes oh, uh, mass effect great um oh it's fantastic yeah uh, but anyway, anyway, we're not so okay. We've enough rabbit trail, Joel. I apologize. We got it out of our system. We're going to continue on. That's what, that's uh, what I was saying. <laughs> I won't lead you here. You got to lead me here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so um, I guess let's let's start getting into Wheel of Faith. Then, uh, Daniel, how did this project kind of start? Uh, how long have you been working on it? And then, yeah, we'll go we'll go from there. Sure. So the, 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 the project started a long, long time ago when I used to play games like Final Fantasy or Fantasy Star or Grandia or a bunch of other single player RPGs with my brother. I have a twin brother. Um, we had, you know, one console, one TV. Uh, if one person got ahead in a story, the other person basically became a, a, an onlooker mm. for that story. You'd stop. And it was always something that kind of bothered me because you have, you know, you have, uh, you have some, one of us could only finish the game or one of us could finish the game. The other one would just be, you know, uh, you're too far ahead. I already know what's coming. So I always, I always thought, um, I always wanted to make something that was a little like, why can't I play the same game, but have my own surprises, my own stories to tell, uh, even though the narrative is the same or the, the, the overarching main plot is the same. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the, the seed of this. And then it, it, it leads up until, you know, around 2016, where uh, after working in various points, well, sorry, I have to, I do have to give credit to the Neverwinter Nights modding era when, when we had player worlds and we, uh, you know, I was a, a dungeon master. I was a player. I was doing all these different things. And those events in that player world, when you had a real person behind it, kind of doing things, are making things happen while you were there, while you were, you know, unexpectedly, you know, just exploring that, um, that was an experience unlike any I had had before. It even harkens a little bit to the, to the game master system in Ultima Online where they used to come in and run some events. You know, unfortunately it was abused terribly, but it, it, it uh, it was, it, you know, it, there was nothing more fun than having something of, uh, than a, like a surprise happen in the game where, you know, a place you've gone a hundred times before, something new was there. And that, that for me was so exciting and so much fun. So it comes to 2016, I learned, uh, a lot about AI and a lot about uh, volatility and probabilities and all these kinds of things. And I learned about funding in Canada and, and in Canada, we have a very, uh, wonderful support system uh, for for games like or game production and interactive digital media content through the Canada Media Fund and uh, Ontario Creates and all these different types of, uh, of support networks that we have. And I was able to take my concept, pitch it, win some funding, build a prototype, and now we're in production. So this is this is the the story of how it came together. Excellent. And so, uh, Miles, when did you come on to the project? I guess it would have been about October uh, of last year. Um, I was actually doing some choose-your-own-adventure audiobook writing uh, with a guy, uh, Eric, in Montreal, and uh, he knew 
he knew the head of the studio, Game Pill, uh, Mike. Um, they, they were connected, and uh, I guess the, Eric mentioned me to Mike, and Mike just happened to be looking for someone, uh, like a narrative designer, someone able to write the quest. Um, and uh, when we got to talking, we realized we needed a bit more than that. Um, and we, yeah, we figured our way forward, and that's when I met Daniel. Excellent. Now, I, I need to pause you for just a second and rewind. Uh, choose yeah. Your Own Adventure audiobooks? I've only listened to one of those, and it was written by Neil Patrick Harris, and there was no yeah. real choo- Choose Your Own Adventure part of it. <laughs> what is a Choose Your Own Adventure audiobook? How does that even work? Oh, yeah, it's just uh, it's this new thing that uh, my friend Eric is, is starting. I, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about it, um, but I, I will say this. Uh, finding fantasy books uh, when I was a kid, I used to just absolutely devour these things. Uh, do, does, does the name Fighting Fantasy series, uh, does that ring any bells? Uh, Fighting Fantasy? Fighting Fantasy books, yeah. They were uh, like no, action art um, and soft cover books. Okay, no, I'm not familiar with those. Okay, well, they were like uh, they were like D and D modules that would present the entire rules of the uh, of the of the game within the first couple pages. You'd need a D six for them. You had hit points to keep track of. You had a character sheet. Uh, Death Trap Dungeon by Ian Livingstone, one of the founders of Games Workshop. Uh, Death Trap Dungeon was just a monster book. I loved it. It was amazing. Um, and so we're actually looking at uh, and and actually. Ian Livingstone's Death Trap Dungeon is going to be in Eric's lineup, so he was incredibly excited to, to, to land this guy. And, uh, yeah, I was writing some content for a, a sci-fi moon, moon adventure story um, within this uh, within this software forum when when I met Mike and Game Pill and Daniel. Okay. Very cool. So are yeah. you still doing any work on that? or? Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a, a, a few things going on, but, I mean, obviously uh, – my time is, is really dependent on what's happening with Wheel of Fate. I mean, this sure, is a, sure. a big project for us to be involved in. Uh, I can like spread myself so thin. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess you know, we, we've said the name Wheel of Fate a bunch of times now. Uh, what actually is the game? I guess uh, you know, kind of quick elevator pitch, and then we'll dig a little deeper into it. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, what is Wheel of Fate, the game? Mm-hmm. Um, well, um... I, you know, Daniel and I have our have, have slightly different ways of of, uh, of explaining this, but I mean, obviously it's an RPG. But what uh, what it really brings to it that's special is is this the wheel mechanic, um, which is just this um, randomizer, this giant wheel. It's like a mind stone calendar that's alive. It's a living artifact. It's, a, it's a, essentially a magical AI, and uh, the player becomes bonded to it early in the campaign and it will spin at intervals throughout the game and every time it spins um, the world changes around you it reorders reality so I mean in terms of aesthetics the time of day weather uh, people will disappear and, and reappear in other places you know all these kinds of sort of visual things but in game terms what's really happening is that we are removing content and putting in new content um, and it has a sort of a like a slot machine kind of uh, jackpot sense in that the content that we place uh, has degrees of rarity, right? So you could have a common spin, an uncommon spin. Um, and, and when you get a, a, a celestial spin, as it's called, um, that is the best content. It's also probably going to be the hardest monster speed to fight in terms of risk-reward. 
but um, you know that's when you're going to find Excalibur rather than a copper sword. Um, so it, it it really behooves you to to get out there and, and find this stuff before the next spin. And essentially, that becomes uh, a, you know a big part of the game is that yeah, if you go out there and you do the typical RPG things that we're all sort of familiar with, but you have this sense that the wheel is going to spin again um, and it's going to change everything, and you want to achieve your objectives that you set out for yourself before the next spin because that content will then be gone. Um, and in this. You know, we talk about Mass Effect 2 and the importance of the companion character. I'll give that as an example. The companions that you uh, populate in your party, their companion quests are not something that you simply go up to them and ask to, to, to do the companion quest. The companion quests are triggered by the spin of the wheel. And once a companion quest has been uh, achieved, that companion is permanently improved in a significant way. So that's the kind of content that when it comes up in a spin, you better go get that because you have no idea how when it's coming back, right? The rarity of that spin might be such that you you won't see it again for a while. Um, and likewise, the player actually has a has the, the tool has the, has the means to spin the wheel precipitously. They can spin it ahead of the schedule, so to speak, right? As they as they perform certain tasks or, or kill certain creatures, they're filling a fate meter, and when the fate meter is full they have the ability to, to trigger a spin out of sequence. So if you don't really like the, the current content in the world or, or you want to see if you can get something better, then, then yeah, trigger another spin and see what happens. Okay. So how – it it sounds like the the wheel could have, like, massive implications for the, the gameplay that you're currently experiencing, or it yeah. could be set dressing. I don't know. We You know, you, you talk to – plenty of people about video games and you see advertisements for them and it, it, you can hear things that sound like they're hugely impactful and then they're not actually it's really just kind of this right. top layer um, yeah. and I'm obviously not assuming that you're saying it's going to be deep and it's actually top layer or anything like that uh, but I'm just wondering like how deep does this go because it, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, basically, it amounts to having a series of tables, right? And you're just rolling a d20 on each of these tables whenever the wheel spins. Okay, so what are we going to have in the dungeon? We're going to have these creatures and those creatures. Uh, you know, what are we going to have um, in the town? What kind of plots are going on? There's a there's a mad bomber who lives in this town that you become mayor of, and he's going to plot to destroy buildings, or the town might come under attack. You know, you've got this huge table of possible events. And in every different context, you've got sort of prevailing influences, uh, like, uh, I, I don't want to say like the weather, but I mean, uh, you have an elemental influence, which is now going to in, in influence what weapons you're carrying, right? If it's, a, if it ends up being a fire dominant, uh, spin, suddenly fire-based weapons are, are, are your friends. And so you look through your inventory and make sure that you're equipped, uh, to deal with that. Um, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a number of things. I mean, the wheel has multiple rings, right? And some of the effects that the wheel will impart in the world are minor, um, but it's, it's this combination of all these rings spinning together at once to create a very unique DNA for each each spin. And, and just to add to that, I mean, the, when when we talk about depth and we're talking about the actual wheel itself, the AI behind the wheel... Uh, it tracks a lot of things. It tracks things yeah. like 
how well you do in a battle. Yeah. Uh, what are your previous spins? What loot you've picked up? Who's come to oh. your town? Who hasn't come to your town? What choices you've made in dialogue? These are already currently yeah. tracked, which then reconfigure that die 20 to be yeah. weighted, weighted or, or different sizes of the sides of, 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 you know, one, you know, the 20 may, may get to, you know, a, such a big size that it's going to land on it. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's about adaptability and changing. And when, when we're talking depth, I mean, Miles talked about everything from ambience to the list of side quests you get to choices in your dialogue to, you know, wh who's coming at your gates, who's in your town. These, all these things are, are already either in or planned to be in. Uh, as we're, as we're making it. And it's not the first time we've heard that we're crazy and that it's <laughs> ambitious. Uh, we've heard this quite mm -hmm. a few times, but the, the foundation of the entire game, when you start a game with the idea that this is a world that has to change and, you know, we're not just telling a story. We're not just making another RPG. You know, right from the beginning, the, the entire team has been thinking, okay, how can I make something different? How can I make something change? And, and things like, you know, we get some pretty crazy layouts in our dungeon right now, like in the Temple of Fate. Uh, sometimes it looks a little bit funny because we're, you know, the, the amount of dynamicism we put it even into the generation of the dungeon is is pretty big, um, and yeah. and it, and it and it feels very different every time you're going through it. Sometimes it's familiar, and sometimes it's not because there are, you know, there's. Uh, it, as we grow it, it'll get more and more like that. But you know, we're we're at the stage right now in a kind of a, a late alpha, early beta stage where you know we're testing and making sure that things are working the way they are. And so far, yeah. it's been pretty good. It's been yeah. good. I want to I want to dig down a little bit more into the uh, the, the effect uh, of conversation. Uh, yeah. And this again Please. harkens back to um, to Mass Effect. I mean, everybody who's played Mass Effect knows there were Parag Paragon and Renegade choices and uh, if we look back at Knights of the Old Republic that essentially preceded <clears throat> uh, Mass Effect, you had an alignment system, dark side, light side, um, that your conversation choices would reflect upon. We, you know, uh, actually when, when we started Mass Effect course there, the idea was that there was actually sort of a, a, a triple tree, um, because playing a Han Solo sort of rogue character, you're not actually a paragon any more than you're a renegade. You're, you're often true neutral, right? Mm. In the choices that you would be making. So we were actually looking at having sort of a third alignment that your conversation choices would push you towards. Um, but for this game, what we, we don't have an alignment per se, but we have sort of, um, pervading influences, prevailing influences, uh, the influence of industry, of knowledge, of conflict, adventure, fortune, um, and the, the, the dialogue choices as presented pull the player towards these um, prevailing influences. So, you know, if you want to look at it in simple terms of bad guy, good guy, uh, you know, the renegade choice would be to, to, to be, to choose, um, conversations, uh, that sort of leans towards conflict. You know, if somebody, you know, apologizes, uh, in a conversation, you, you decide to punish them for their, for their mistake or you, you want to fight them or, you know, you're not willing to accept their, their offering, these kinds of things. If you make conversation choices like that, you're going to be pulled towards conflict and that will have a definite influence on the next spin of the wheel. Hmm. Um, you know, in terms of waiting, uh, waiting the, the odds. Um, so that instead of just, you know, having good guy choices, bad guy choices, 
this system effectively some, uh, has has five influences that the character can can lean towards. Okay. So how how much content is this? Can can you see essentially the whole game in one playthrough? Is there even is like a single playthrough something that makes any sense in this kind of game? No, and, and you know what? If you want to look at what's a, a core statement about what we aim for for this game is that no two playthroughs are the same. Okay. Period. Like yeah. it just it just couldn't. It, it would be the odds of it happening would be so rare. We had a guy come to our booth when we were at uh, Fan Expo just last week, and he's a speed player, um, and you know like a pro gamer, esports gamer, um, but he does speed playthroughs on YouTube, and he was interested in in you know when we're ready to go, maybe trying that with Wheel of Fate. And that really was an interesting idea that we hadn't really thought about because if the game never plays the same way, you know, it, player skill is kind of put to one side uh, in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this way. You, you could not predict uh, a sort of the short path of this game because content is always going to come up in different order and different, uh, different ways. Um, and one thing about the content, too, that, that we, we've aspired to is that it's not even intentional that the player finds everything that, that, you know, it's just a matter of time that you'll, that you'll gradually see everything. We have Easter egg content that we, that we intend to hide through the world. Um, and it doesn't matter if you ever uncover it, but if you do, it can actually have some significant, um, uh, effect in the game. And then even, you know, just to further that along in terms of content and, and the way we're putting in content, uh, you know, we are going to Kickstarter because we want to put in as much content as we can. A, a world that changes needs content. We need as much content yeah. as we can possibly squeeze into this thing. So, mm-hmm. and we're also Absolutely. doing it. We're also doing this in a, uh, a chaptered release. So we're releasing chapter one. Uh, we want to put it out so players can start feeling it, understanding it, uh, lower, yeah. you know, at a lower price point, people can start looking at it and saying, okay, this is what I like it. I like this style of thing. Uh, and I like, uh, certain elements of it. But once we, uh, uh, once we get to a chapter two, we're, we're looking at adding additional, uh, you know, content based on players' feedback. So, you know, yeah. once, once we do chapter one, it's you know you get you get your your main missions, and then we want to continue it from there, uh, understanding what players like, dislike, what we've done right, what we've done wrong, and you know extending it further so that so that we are building out a truly once we're done you know truly massive game that has almost no no possibility of of playing the same way each time, even though you're playing through the same narrative there is an overarching story it's not just a fully random game okay. you will go no. through these things you will you know if you have to fight a dragon you will fight that dragon but my playthrough it's a water dragon surrounded by water goblins in a cavern by a lake your playthrough is it's a fire dragon on a cliff with fire demons and the consequences of that are your you know your fire dragon a trader comes to town is looking for horns that from fire dragons and you make a tidy profit Mine, the consequence is I've unleashed the water, the, 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 you know, I've killed the overlord of the water goblins. They are now storming my gates and I have to defend my town. So the idea there is that yes, you're still going to go fight a dragon, but the setting, the scene, the, the, uh, you know, we've set a stage and the scene and the scenery, the actors, who's coming and who's going is different. Hmm. Very cool. 
And so all of the, all of that, you talked about how uh, it's basically like a die 20 that's being rolled every time the wheel uh, is turning, or is it multiple die 20s that are being Oh, it's yeah. multiple dice multiple, rolling okay. in, 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 a, in several categories, right? And that's, that's okay. what gives you just such a huge range of potential outcomes. And, and as we say, your actions throughout this will be changing the weighting of each of those dice rolls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that die 20 could become a die 6, a die 12. It could mm. become a die 40. It could become a die 100. It could be whatever. Okay. In other words, the, 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 the dice is not always fixed. Gotcha. It, it, it adapts based on the choices. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, um, and all of that is kind of done by a, an AI that you guys are working on, uh, built with like machine learning and all. I don't know anything about yes. machine learning. So let's, sure. let's talk a little bit about what's happening actually there behind the scenes. No problem. So, um, yeah. So when I started it, uh, back in like 2016, it was, it was, you know, I'd learned a lot about how probabilities work, a lot about RNGs. It was one of my core functions of my job. Um, and it, it, it was, you know, in, in a partnership with several experts. In fact, we had a, a PhD of cybernetics help us build this out. And we used several, we tried a whole bunch of several techniques in, in machine learning that would, would take this, Take the, take all these choices we wanted to track and alter it and, and alter the choice, like alter the sort of the dice and the outcomes making, you know, decisions based on, on, uh, uh, on all of this player, player input. So that in and of itself was, has been worked on for a very long time. That was, that was how we won most of our funding. We came up with a very innovative concept, which, which played out, uh, well. Uh, with with uh, several different places, several different agencies, and and that, um, you know, if, if if you want me to get really technical on it, I mean, we can talk about how how we tried things like neural nets and you know regression. Uh, sorry, I'm um, afraid she's going to make Skynet on us. If we get yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Decision trees, uh, you know, k-means, k-n, k-n, all these different types of of methods uh, of machine learning, and we came up with. A set of algorithms that does it with, you know, that, that works together with our proprietary adaptability algorithm, mm-hmm. uh, that changes all the dice and things like that. Uh, that ultimately, you know, that's been, that has been worked on a lot. We've run it through simulations. We've run on, you know, a lot of things and it's currently doing what it's supposed to do on, on our limited play set of, of people who are playing currently. But as we grow it, obviously the more data we have in, the more we can change it. And that's another reason to go through the chaptered release, understanding that we got to put it out, understand what players are doing, uh, and how they're interacting with this AI so that we can adapt it to make a better game or a better gameplay. And one of the questions I got in one of the interviews that I did about AI was, could you, you know, could we make it so that the AI acts almost like a Skynet? It almost collects everything from all different players and have the players work communally to make a, a specific event happen across the game, even though it's not a multiplayer game. And I'm like, yeah, technically we could do that. We don't do it now, but if that's something our players wanted to see, we could make that happen because the, the AI understands itself. It, like it understands what, what players are doing and we can, gather that and make, you know, worldwide events without even being really a multiplayer, people working towards the same goal. Again, not something we're doing right now, but that's the idea behind the AI. It's theoretically possible. 
Well, it's theoretically out. possible. Not okay. that we're exploring currently, but right. if players wanted it, then the, it, it is something well within the realm of what what we're currently doing. Okay. Well, just know if if Skynet does happen, I'm blaming you guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally your fault. <laughs> yes, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's like I feel like all of that stuff is you know it, it's it's behind the scene it's um it's there in the game world but what what is the game actually like when you're sitting down to play it is it classic turn-based rpg is it more action oriented is what's yeah. how does it well, actually feel to, to play? Things. you have i mean you have two essential domains to the game right you have uh the sort of uh, reconfiguring dungeon uh the temple of fate uh, and you have the town of Kismet's Falls that's right next to it, and uh, you become the mayor of this town. So when you're in the dungeon, it, it's sort of a, a classic Diablo-style dungeon crawler uh, with turn-based mechanics, so for combat. Uh, and when you're in the town, um, there's a lot of dialogue, interaction, shopping, uh, but there's also a town management component. It's sort of a SimCity light where, as the mayor, you're directing development of uh, which buildings... Uh, you actually want it. Every building sort of has their own impact on how you generate resources in the town and what, what abilities it can unlock for you. Um, so you're upgrading these things. Also, the town will come under attack. Uh, as part of, as part of the story, the, the idea is that when you wake up, uh, the temple of fate, when you become bound to the wheel of fate, um, it creates a beacon up on a high mountaintop that basically everybody in this kingdom of Providence can see, and they know the balance of power is suddenly shifted in this world. So Kismet Falls is sort of this little backwater Tatooine kind of, uh, kind of location that is suddenly put into the spotlight, and, uh, and it sort of experiences like a gold rush kind of vibe. So every spin of the wheel, you're going to have new arrivals to your town, new people that come there. Um, and you've got to give them jobs. You actually, they're the fuel that makes your buildings work. Um, and, and as I say, there's going to be other interested parties and you may find yourself sort of, um, preoccupied with a siege rather than being able to, to head into the temple, uh, and, and go explore, uh, to launch your next expedition. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, you've got, we wanted to make sure that if, if the game is focusing on these two domains, that there's lots to do in each domain and that they're very different sort of paths. And, and, and gameplay, but they're both fun and rewarding. Yeah. And even something as simple as the store inventory, mm-hmm. it, it changes each wheel spin, right? So the wheel spins, if you've got, you know, you, you've won the jackpot and you've got this really, you know, high celestial roll, you're probably going to want to go set, see what buildings you've set up, uh, and check their inventories for some rare items or recipes or ingredients so that you can, you know, you can you can actually uh, uh, get ahead just by that wheel spin. It's not it's not just go defeat the the monster or go defeat this boss or it's you know to get your top level loot. You can actually get some really good stuff just by spinning the wheel and trying to get the best you can out of the stores. It won't be everything. You know, it won't be like the the uh, you know we can't. We can't make everything come in the stores because then it just becomes sit there and spin until I get what I want. But, yeah. but, but at the same time, it's, it's, there are ways to get ahead, uh, by being, you know, uh, being a little bit of a fortune hunter or a little bit of a, a, a seeker of things that, 
uh, you know, being practical about what you're doing and, and, and placing the right types of, of stores, upgrading them uh, according to, to a, a really good plan. If you're an industrious, that's why we have an industrial rune. If you're an industrious person that upgrades the town and build it, you are still rewarded as much as a person who's going in and fighting everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so can you kind of just choose to, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a good mayor. I want to manage this stuff. Well, I want to give other people the job of going out and questing. Can you, can you kind of play the game that way? Or is it still come back I mean, to traditional you'll, you'll RPG or you're, you're fighting stuff? You will still need to, to do the, the dungeon adventuring. You okay. are the mayor of the town, but you're also the avatar of fate. So it's, it, we, we joke that it's, it's the game where you play Jesus. You, you are the sort of Messiah figure. And, uh, so, you know, everybody calls you mayor or, or they call you avatar, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's still on you as the, as the hero of this, of this, uh, journey to go back into the, the dungeon and, and launch these expeditions. But yeah, it's absolutely on you to, uh, to run the town well as well. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you you are the avatar, like this, like Miles said, you are the avatar. You you need to handle some of these things. The the townsfolk need you because they can't handle it on their own. Uh, it it and it is played out through the lore and the story as to why that is the case. Gotcha. Yeah, the fateless uh, affliction that's spreading through the world is is something that is more or less immune to normal people, but by bonding with the wheel, that makes you. Uh, something else, something that can hurt the fateless. And so that's why it, it, the, the thrust is primarily on you to deal with this problem. But you, I mean, you absolutely populate your town with a, with a garrison of guards. Uh, so they're there to help you defend when, when your town comes under attack. Um, and your, and your player party is going to be made up. We have, uh, multiple characters, uh, four, four additional companion characters at first, and you populate your party with, uh, with three of them at any one time. And, and as I, as I said, the, the companion characters are something that are hugely important to me, that they all be interesting, um, combat effective, and also, you know, have an interesting narrative. Okay. Very cool. So how, do, how does combat actually work? Um, on the, the website, it's called an action response battle system, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, Okay, so, you know, at its base, it's, it's turn-based combat. Okay. So you are plotting your moves in um, uh, at the start of each turn. You, we have a timeline system that sort of shows who's going in what order. Uh, and at the end of that timeline, when, when all the, the characters have activated, then you're going to have another input cycle. But uh, layered into that, uh, when your characters um, perform their combat abilities, um, or use an item or whatever, typically, well, typically not an item, but when they do their abilities, there's an, a real-time input sequence that will sort of um, help that ability realize its full potential, uh, improve the odds of it becoming a crit hit. Um, I, combat is really about crit management, trying to, trying to min-max, you know, get the, the maximum potential for a crit with the, with the minimum effort. There's a lot of um, character, uh, uh, character class uh, synergy. Um, that we're working towards. We've got sort of four basic character classes. We've got a warrior class. Um, we call the champion. We've got a cleric class. We call the chosen. We've got a, a wizard class. We've got a ranger class. Um, each of them have been balanced in one way or another. Sort of, you know, if you, you look at like a, a compass wheel, each of them sort of points uh, to one polar direction, but together their abilities are, are, are you know, able to... Um, 
to combine and stack to get the best best odds of crits and 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 damage output. Um, so are, are those the the classes of your party members, or are those classes that you can choose as well? Both. I mean, okay. so the way we did it is simply this: we know that the player character is going to be a blank canvas, right? You're going to make them look. Uh, you're going to how you want. You're going to name them how you want, and you're going to choose one of those four classes for them. Okay. But then, for our companion selection, the idea is that with this block of content, chapter one, we have one representative from each character class. So if you, you know, if you really like rangers, make yourself a ranger and make sure that you put the ranger in your party and you double up. Um, and likewise for any other character class. Um, obviously a, a balanced party would, would probably include one of each, but it certainly doesn't need to. Um, it absolutely does not need to. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess that, I guess that kind of brings us to the Kickstarter that you guys are are starting soon. This sounds like a whole bunch of content. We've already said this. Well, you said that it sounded cr- crazy. I, I didn't say it. I just said that it sounded like a lot and that it could be potentially crazy. Um, <laughs> so uh, what? Uh, I guess first, when is the uh, the Kickstarter launching? So the the Kickstarter uh, the. Our date right now is September 16th. We are going through, you know, getting all the content in, and we have to do some approvals with Kickstarter so that uh, it, it shouldn't shift from that date. But it, it, there is obviously a, a potential. Our social media, you know, at Wheel of Fate Game on either Instagram or Twitter, uh, you know, our website will have all the information. So, and and our Discord. If you join our Discord, that's where we we do most of our communications first. That's where we interact the most. Uh, so that is certainly something we can, we can do, but that that um, September sixteenth date is when we're looking at putting out the Kickstarter. Okay, and why go the the Kickstarter route? So Kickstarter, uh, what we found was it's well, one we like the Kickstarter platform. It's 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 a very good uh, uh, way to put out a game like this, in our opinion. Uh, but it it also lets us interact with the player and get vested interest from backers that that we are doing something that people actually want and that people are uh interested in playing uh and and that's you know that's obviously a key indicator for any of us we've we've certainly validated our concept by going to things like pax and and fan expo where you know we met uh, easily easily five thousand people and uh and you know in in those in the course of those two shows uh, you know, we, we received such positive feedback on our concept that it was really a very high motivator for us to go look and say, you know, a Kickstarter would, would make a lot of sense for us. People seem to like what we're doing and, uh, and, uh, we'd, we'd really like to, you know, uh, do more. Obviously, Kickstarter also helps us get the extra content in that we need to make as good a game as possible. Um, but that, that's, uh, you know, the, the sort of our, our, interest is is to say okay we've had interest in our concept we've had people who are interested in doing uh seeing what we're doing does it translate well into into people wanting to actually buy our game so what what all is doing a kickstarter going to allow you to do with the game like i guess what are what are some of the goals that you're you're putting on the Kickstarter? Some stretch uh, goals if you get there, all that kind of. Sure. Stuff. So I mean, what like like I said, our, our like our first set of stretch goals are things like 
adding additional quests to try and make okay. as many unique stories as we can, right? From from uh from our perspective, it is about adding content. So like our first stretch goal is to is to say let's add ten more quests. Let's add uh uh you know a second well the second stretch goal is, is then some more localization. But you know as we go further along, it's really about playing up how much additional content we can get in because the more we get in like even from you know from a player's perspective or from a content creator's perspective playing a game like this a single player that has unique stories where you can show different things happening is 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 interesting so we want to really uh, focus on that and some of our later um our some of our later goals uh are are specifically you know, to work with the community and say, okay, what do you want to see? Like, what what backer input are we going to get to say, what kind of what kind of quests would you like to see, and what kind of additional items would you like to see, and and, and really get that uh, that extra additional content in there. Right. Very cool. And now the the saddest question of the show: uh, What happens <laughs> if it doesn't work? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, if, there will if, be crying. Uh, if it, it will, doesn't, it, sorry, go ahead. We Mass Effect Corsair too. <laughs> <laughs> so if it doesn't work, um, I mean, we we will still put out uh, a game, uh, a viable product, a, a core product out. Uh, it, the the Kickstarter doesn't really uh, stop us from doing that. Uh, it just won't have as much in it as we would like and, and, or as much extra stuff in it as we would like that really plays up this, this, uh, you know, the unique stories. It'll still have all, everything we've talked about, still an AI wheel. It'll still have quests to change. It'll still have uh, a main quest to play through with different dialogue options that changes those dice rolls and, and stores within the inventories that changes and so on and so on. Um, but it just won't be as big. And, and the yeah. idea, you know, the main, main idea behind this is the more we get in, the better it is, the better experience it'll be for, for all of us, for, for the players. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way the game has been designed, it, it is so modular for being able to accept more or less content. You know, we, we sort of have this infrastructure of how the content plugs into the game. So uh, the better we do on Kickstarter, the, the the bigger the catalog of content becomes, and that's really where this game will come into its own. I think uh, absolutely, even at the at the base level, it's going to feel exactly like you've bought the core box of a game system, and and just need you know there, there's modules yet to come. Okay. Would uh, would early access be a viable route or anything like that? Is that something you guys have thought up about? Or? It'll 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 go to early access. Either way, because okay. because even if we do, you know, even if our our Kickstarter does exceptionally well, we would still put it into early access because we want players to try it. We want players to to give us feedback so that we can adjust it. And that's actually a more ideal scenario because if we do exceptionally well and we have and we have players' feedback, we can now take that feedback and make it better and better each time. We're not we're not about trying to shove anything down anyone's throat. We're just trying to say. Here's our framework. Here's, here's our, our, our core game. Now let's build, let's build this out. Let's do the exciting thing of, you know, give me your crazy ideas on what kind of events you'd like to see. And, and, and we'll see if we can get those in there. Awesome. Very cool. Okay. Well, 
Um, I think that does it for the, the questions I have about the game. So that means it is, it is time to get into the, the last segment, the end game. And the first question here is, is very simple, uh, but not always easy to answer. And that is, who is your favorite video game character? This is going to be for both of you, uh, whoever wants to go first. Um, and this, this can be hero, sidekick, villain, anybody. Uh, who's your favorite mm. video game character? Dan, you want to go first? Or? Uh, okay, that, that's very, very difficult yes. to, to, to say. Um, uh, Not for me, it isn't. Uh, it's, it's hard for Tell me. Tell you what, you take a minute. You take a minute. <laughs> Fara. It's Farrah from Overwatch. I absolutely love her. Okay. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to have to go, as, as hard as this is for me, um, I'm going to have to say I really like Shepard from mm. Mass Effect, but... Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the Aww. same time, you know, like like a Link from Zelda, you know, is a close one. There's there's a lot of yeah, characters yeah. that I really love, um, but I'm going to have to go with Shepard. Okay, which cool. Shepard? Oh, now you had to go. You had to go hard. Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> this is why. This is why I can't. Shepherd. Uh, Shepard uh, can't be my pick. It it would be, but I have two very distinct versions of Shepard in my head. One is slightly more renegade. The other slightly more Paragon. Yeah. Um And they're cool. but they're. I thought about them way too much, and I can't pick between them. So I I don't live in a multiverse. I can't have both Shepards at one time. Yeah. So my pick is uh, about for for Shepherd. Shepherd, they always ask, "Who was your relationship companion character?" Do you mind if I ask you that? Ask me. Yeah. Uh, well, it it, it depends on which playthrough. It's uh, <laughs> Guy Shepherd. I uh, uh, romanced Ashley in the first game because they were they were both a little space racisty, uh, but they they clicked. They got over that. Uh, they evolved and and became better people for it. Uh, for for my female shepherd, uh, she actually stayed celibate uh, the whole time. She, no, nobody was good enough for her. Um, so yeah, and I would it would have been Garrus for her, except if you don't romance either Garrus or Tally, then in the third game, Garrus and Tally get together, and I don't want that not to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh then for my my third uh character who's not as important to me as the other two. Uh he's based off of Malcolm Reynolds from the show Firefly and the movie Serenity and uh he I think he I romanced Miranda in the second game and then um I think it was actually Liara in the the first game, Miranda in the second game, and then there was a big conflict in the third game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I like Jack myself. She was my favorite companion character. But I mean, Garrison. Yeah. I my most of my favorite companions all stem from the the first game. I I love the first game so much. Yeah. I, yeah. My <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But okay, so uh, Daniel, back to you. Do do you yes. have a? Can you pick? I'd have to go with, with it would be the more Paragon uh, uh, a Shepherd because okay. the choices were just a little harder to make because you yeah. you want you want to go in like just 
ruin somebody, but at the same <laughs> yeah. time, you, you, you know, you're, if you're trying to follow that paragraph path, it's a little harder to make that decision to be uh, more diplomatic. So I, I, I found that one more challenging to my mm-hmm. gameplay. Going Renegade wasn't so hard for me because it was just like, well, okay, choose this one and I can go and I'll start getting my scars and I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, <laughs> all that wonderful stuff. So, uh, uh, Paragon, Paragon was, was a more interesting thing. Okay. Paragon felt like the way to play in the first game, but since you're working for Cerberus in the second game, it made, it made Renegade choices so much easier, I feel. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I thought about my characters way too much. They af- they actually shifted <laughs> alliances between the games. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it was... I. I thought about those games way too much, awesome. and I try. I tried awesome. to be a renegade, so I I always play good in my first playthrough of a game because I can't yeah. not. Um, and in the second one, I tried to be renegade, and I just couldn't because while <laughs> there's some good renegade choices, a lot of them just make you seem like a dick. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like I can't do this. So so yeah. that's when I started thinking about. It. It's like okay, if if I want to see all the content, then I need to have each character be half renegade and half paragon but they have to be the opposite halves of paragon and renegade uh so i have to come up i have to figure out a baseline for each character of why they would make these decisions so that i can consistently make these types of decisions uh it was oh god i i played mass effect one like 14 (laughs) times it's i have a problem it's it's, oh uh, my god you might you might have beaten me i had to do it (laughs) Once you announce that my decisions actually matter and are carrying over to the next game, then I have to have like the perfect run through for each character. Yeah, uh, which yeah. I did, and was um, yeah, I was I was lonely in college and played lots of Mass Effect. It's okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, so uh, next question is completely different. If you could replay any video game again for the first time, so you get to have that fresh experience with it, you don't have to worry about the game aging poorly. Uh, what would you like it to be? Oh, man, so easy. Uh, I'm going to say one of my favorite and most, cha- like, ultimately changing my vision of things experience would be um, I'd love to play Ultima Online again, mm. the way it was when it first came out and how exciting it was because it was the first. Well, not the first MMO, but it was the first one that really kind of took off. Um, and, and that and... and or an EverQuest, like those two for me were like wow, uh, not wow World of Warcraft, but wow, like amazing. Uh, even though World of Warcraft is another ex- extremely uh, fun experience for me, uh, and the Neverwinter Night series, but yeah. which which again was another kind of a- incredible experience for me. Okay. Yeah, uh, for me that's super easy. It'd be the first Zelda game. Uh, I- I'm old enough that I I bought it like day of hmm. launch. Um, when I was in school with my friends and I think we got it a, on a Friday after school and, uh, we ended up playing it, uh, through the weekend and come, come Monday morning, uh, we were all still over at my friend's place for this extended sleepover and we convinced, we convinced his parents that we were packing up to go to school and the second they were out the door, we were back in the door and we blew an entire week off like that cutting school. And uh, I would love to have those days back. <laughs> I want to do that again. <laughs> Wait, so is it, is it the game that you want to have back, or is it just that experience? Oh, both, man. It was uh... a <laughs> thing, right? Like, I, we, 
I swear that game was like a like cold cock me in the face. We were just not expecting to be completely captivated by that setting and and to be so hooked into finding all these missing things, mm-hmm. opening up these these you know hidden dungeons, all that stuff. It was just so much fun. Uh, and it, it'll never be the same as that 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 day was or or that week was. Sure, sure. Okay. So this is a similar question, but a little different. If you could give a game a second chance, uh, so maybe you had a bad experience with it, maybe you got into it and just uh, something else shiny caught your attention, or you played it at a bad time in your life, any any assortment of reasons of why you bounced on a game if you could go back and give it a fresh start what would you most like to give a second chance to hmm. that's that's hard <laughs> yeah uh, hmm yeah, i would that's... let's see um a game that i bounced on that i want to try again it would be Ooh, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> uh, Left for Left for Dead. Uh, we got into it pretty hard when it first came out, um, but then I got so distracted by Team Fortress Two, <laughs> it took over my life as as Overwatch now has. Um, and and I, I like we completely forgot about it, and I didn't finish playing through it. And and it was so well done. I, you know the the homage to the the zombie movies that that they did. Uh, just down to the little details. I, I really wish I'd given it a full playthrough. And I didn't play Borderlands 2. I never played Borderlands 2, even though I love Borderlands 1, and now Borderlands 3 is about to come out. Uh, I'm totally, totally going to jump on that, but I, I really kind of wish I had gone back and would play Borderlands 2 first. It won't, but... <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I would have to go with... Probably... And it's not that I bounced on it or I didn't like it. Um, I actually really did. I just I I I got busy with other things. Uh, would would have been uh, Elder Scrolls Morrowind. I played the the I played <laughs> Skyrim like crazy. I played uh, you know uh, Oblivion like crazy. But Morrowind, I I just didn't get as far in as I should have. And I, and even though I was enjoying it, I just I. I can't even remember why, to be honest with you, why I left. But that, that's definitely one I would give another shot at, for sure. Okay. Very cool. All right, now this, this is going more into the game industry. Uh, what is a good trend that is currently going on that you would like to see more of? Uh, this can be something in, in studios. It can be something in uh, just the way game development is going. It can be. It can't be AI or machine learning because that's something you guys are doing. <laughs> uh, or, or it can be a game mechanic. It can be. Uh, I don't know. Choices and consequences. Whatever, whatever the case may be. It's very, very broad. Uh, but what is something good happening in video games that you would like to see more of? Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm, just a single player campaign. Exactly. I was about to say the same thing. Nah, I got it <laughs> <laughs> so many announcements with it recently uh, and lots of new you know like people are starting to come back around to to the single player campaign so that is something i'm very excited to see happen and um not you know not yet another battle royale game I'm, oh god i'm, no I'm more. I, I i i don't get me wrong i like i like it but i'd like to see some different content come out with with you know, full on single camp, single player campaigns. But if we're not allowed to say that one, uh, I, 
would say that some trends in the industry are are that we you know seeing some fairness for for uh game devs that are out there uh and, and letting them you know it's it's an industry known for its crunch known for doing a lot of uh very heavy work on people like you know consuming their lives so God, to speak. Yeah. and uh yeah. and, and i really like i you know we're all older now all, all the people who have been in this industry uh for a long time uh and you've got families and you've got things that we need to it needs to uh, it needs to change a bit and and uh and i think i think that there is a movement now that it is starting to and it is starting to be more uh um fair for people and, and you know i like i have a family i you know i can't spend 14 hours a day even though sometimes i do because i i also run a company so that's that's an entrepreneurship issue but i can't do it every single day because if i do you know, I won't have a family at the end of it, and and that's not fair to anyone, right? right. Uh, and I think that that needs to be stressed that family is important and people's lives are important. It's it, it you know, uh, trying crunching to meet, um, you know, uh, deadlines that are just not realistic is is uh, is is difficult, and and I don't particularly love doing it. Short bursts of crunch are are something that you know is 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 healthy and helps us all get there. But it can't be sustained over, you know, months and months and months and years and years because that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it, always represents the failure of management. It, it just always does, period, in one way or another. And, uh, you know, having spent years in AAA, you see it to one degree or another. And, it, and I mean, uh, I've gotten to a point now where, where you know, friends of mine and, and myself included, people, you know, we've done enough things we can we can find – we can find a workplace that, that doesn't necessarily prescribe to that, but there's still people coming in the door that get put into the situation. And yeah, the, the game industry really does need to grow up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So flipping that one on its head, what is a, a trope or uh, something bad in the industry that you would like to either see less of or for it to go away entirely? Huh. Okay. So that, that would have been the, the first one then. <laughs> that would have been what we just said. Um, yeah. yeah. Also uh, so crunch and battle royales, just get rid of those. That's... Well, well, I don't want to get not, rid of it. No, it's like, it's only have... some people like this. It's not my thing. Yeah. Right. I, I actually, I don't, again, I don't mind. I, I actually, I have fun with my son playing Fortnite. It's just, you know, I, I, I miss the story. I miss, I miss things like where where is something I can be engaged in. I you know I was the type of kid that would stay up at night reading books and and uh, you know I would play an RPG to death to try and find every little you know element of of content that I could find and you know finding a surprise or something like that and that just I don't see that anymore and mm-hmm. and that that's that's part of the reason why we were, I was inspired to do this type of of game because. I, I love this type of thing. I love to, to to be engrossed into a story and have you know as many possibilities in front of me as possible. So that's something that maybe it's for your first question as opposed to this question, but it okay. is it, it is uh, something that I'd love to see more of uh, and and having more story oriented story oriented content and not just from the same two or three studios that that actually have a, a franchise that can do that, but you know, 
uh, more more uh, in Western culture, I should say, not not everywhere, because there's Western video games that are kind of prescribed to a few studios that that can do this type of thing. Uh, whereas in Eastern culture, you've got a lot more, and uh, you know, you, you've got a lot more story oriented type of games coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so next question is um, not video game related at all. Uh, if you could try any other profession, uh, if you could do literally anything else in the whole world, what is something that you would like to give a shot? Pilot. Pilot. Okay. Particular type of pilot? Well, flying, um, well fighter jets, of course. I want to okay. be Maverick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what would I like to try? I'd actually, you know, something that's been weighing heavy on me is, um, is just, you know, the, 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 what you hear all the time about all the various problems in the world with, in particularly about, about environment. One thing that I like to, would love to do, or if it was something else, would be to do something to help with that. So be an entrepreneur like a, you know, you know Elon Musk with his you know electric power electric roofs that that kind of thing not everything he does but things to solve those types of problems energy problems plastic problems that kind of stuff that's something I'd like to do if it was something else okay make the tube the hyper tube the the what oh just the Elon Musk hyper tube thing okay high speed oh yeah 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 yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and so that brings us to our last question, uh, which actually brings us back to our first question. So each of you get to meet your favorite character. You get to ask them one question. What is it, and how do they respond? Mm. Can I have Can I have your suit or one that fits me? <laughs> I want that suit. <laughs> I mean, essentially, fair is like Hot Girl meets Iron Man, and I I love Iron Man. He's one of my favorite characters. I, I want that suit. <laughs> uh, uh, I'd say, hmm. I, I even though it's it's because I'm the player playing Shepard is kind of a kind of an odd question for me. But uh, if I'm meeting Shepard, it's I would ask, you know, what 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 is it to be a great leader? Uh, because for me, Shepard embodies that, embodies what a great leader is, someone who, you know, is at the front, always sacrificing for the team, trying to make the best, uh, garner the, the loyalty through respect instead of through something like fear, and um, at least in Paragon world. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I don't know how that response would come to me because it's something I want to know myself. It's not like necessarily uh, an answer that I can give, uh, but that's what I aspire to with my own company and my own team is trying to build something where we work together. We go, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm the person who has to help my team get ever, anywhere they need to be, uh, uh, remove any type of roadblock they've got and work with them as closely as I can to, to try and make it, uh, forward but at the same time respecting all of their ideas input they're better at what they do than i am so i'm not there to tell them what to do i'm there to tell them to ask them what what can i do <laughs> to help you and and that's uh that's that's why i would ask shepherd that kind of question 
Well, I'm pretty sure Shepard's answer would be something along the lines of get to know your your squad, find out what their personal issues are, and then go do their quests so that they can yeah. get the alternate <laughs> outfit. Uh, that's uh, absolutely. That's... <laughs> of course, you can also just email Drew and see what he would say to that question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite question on a podcast. Um, <laughs> so. <it's... laughs> All right. Well, that that does it for the end game, and that does it for the podcast. Thank you guys so much for sitting down with me and chatting about Mass Effect. Obviously, that I feel like that's pervaded the conversation uh, somehow. Sorry again, Joel. Uh, but yeah, not a bad one. <laughs> but uh, and obviously talking about Wheel of Fate, which is going to be out on Kickstarter here very soon. If you guys could send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game. Sure. The The best place to go is our uh, website or our social media website, www.wheeloffate.com. Uh, yeah, we got the .com. It was pretty cool. That's a really interesting story, but for another time. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and we got uh, our social media tag, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Wheel of Fate Game. Uh, all one word. And that, that'll get you to almost anything you need. Join our Discord. That's where you'll get the, the latest breaking uh, updates for for uh, for the game. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys again for, for chatting with me about the game. Best of luck as you launch the Kickstarter and get that going. Uh, hopefully we can talk again soon when you guys, I guess, are are coming out with the second part or I, I don't know how big how long this project is going to be going but hopefully we can talk again in the future and i'm sure mass effect will be there as well uh, <laughs> oh that's cool.